So I'm thinking that I'm just going to say like a, a, a blank phrase about No Way Home. <laughs> I'll leave a blank in there, and then I'll just edit in later what we think about it. All right, here we go. Oh, okay. Man, No Way Home is so... Oh, man, I really loved... Yeah, yeah, it's really... All right, there you go. See, the trick is, is I'm not going to put anything there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Because <laughs> by the time we see it now, uh, this will already be edited, and yeah. I don't want to go back in. Because <laughs> we already spent nearly two hours talking about Spider-Man, so... That was just a little gag. Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Soho. <laughs> and I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, we take a trio of films that are either tied by numbers, title, cast and crew, thematic elements, and we go through each film and we talk about the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And this is our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, everybody. Woo-hoo. I know it's not going to be Christmas for another week when this comes out, <laughs> but... We wanted to get this out of the way because we are not going to have an episode for Christmas, right. like on Christmas Day, because we'll be with family. And so we decided, you know, what better way just to get the Christmas episode out of the way in time of the season itself, because we all know that Christmas is not a, you know, lead up to Christmas Eve that week. It is uh, pretty much after Thanksgiving onward. Yeah, it seems like most people celebrate it's a month it that plus, way. For sure. For some people, it's right after Halloween, which is insane. But yeah, that's well, besides the point. a lot of times it continues even after Christmas too. So yeah, and last year when we did a Christmas episode, we did pretty much the most basic one we could do. It was still fun to talk about the Santa yeah. Claus trilogy. Still recommend you listen to that because those three films are insane. Yeah, that was <laughs> and funny as shit. That was wilder to revisit those movies than I expected it. Yes, because I grew up. I mean, we both grew up on them, mm-hmm. and I just had kind of vague, fine memories of all of them. And then looking yeah. back, I was like whoa, there's like a lot to unpack here. (laughs) And, you know, we can't always have just a a usual tradition in terms of what trilogies we handle during the theme seasons. So we decided if we're going to do another Christmas trilogy, we're going to do the oddest one we can think of at the time. Mm -hmm. And right now the oddest one we can think of is we are doing all three versions of Black Christmas. (laughs) It's our Black Christmas trilogy. We are covering 1974's Black Christmas, the 2006 version, and the 2019 version. All titled Black Christmas. Yes. None of them sequels to one another. No. These are all, or two of them are remakes. In the span of nearly 50 years, there are three Black Christmas films, and none of them are tied together, other than just the title and some <laughs> plot elements in between. Yeah, very, very loose yeah. plot elements. I mean, the first two films have a... I guess the first two are pretty close just yeah. plot wise and stuff mm-hmm. sure and then, it just gets, and then that second one gets gross but uh yeah right yeah so in case you don't really know black christmas the original is a 1974 horror film that is directed by bob clark which you do know who that is because <laughs> he also directed about nine years after this film the quintessential american christmas classic a christmas story <laughs> yeah and it's insane to think that a like, christmas story i believe is like his fifth film and then i think this one's like his second or third yeah. like it's wild to think that in nine years they gave him a christmas story right, after having well, yeah. this under his belt yeah but it's, it's pretty wild and it's also fun because we were kind of picking up on things in this movie where we were like oh, oh yeah i can see how mm-hmm. this informed a christmas story or yeah, how his style carries a, over there's a pov stabbing in this film <laughs> that for some reason, made me, I mean, there is a reason for it. It's because it has similar vibes to it. But 
of all the scenes from a Christmas story, it reminds me of the POV scene where Ralphie's trying to sit on Santa's lap and all the elves are getting in his face. Oh yeah. And it perfectly just feels both like Bob Clark in vastly different <laughs> scenarios. Both of them are horror scenes, so Yeah. And the nineteen seventy four film is pretty cut and dry. A killer yeah. escapes prison and then goes back to his childhood home, and that childhood home is now a sorority house. Yeah. Which actually is the nineteen seventy four film I don't even think it's his house. I think it's just a random house. Yeah, I think it's random. Yeah, and in, in the in the remake they make it it's his childhood home, which we'll get to. But in the original film, yeah, a killer goes into a random sorority house, is in the attic, and then just starts picking off sorority girls one by one. Yeah, and it's incredibly. I mean, even while you're watch while you're watching it, you don't really think about it. But like, if you pull back and look at it, or looking back after watching it, is kind of shocking how just cut, cut and, and dry, dry and yeah. bare bones this story is because yeah, like, there is no tie to anything there's no mm-hmm. real setup to it it's just no. killer goes into a house terrorizes yeah. girls the setup is you see the pov shot of him climbing into the attic and that's about it yeah he that just, is he just shows setup. up he shows up to the house climbs up th- outside the house into the attic yeah and then just starts killing people. You don't really learn much about him. The only thing you learn is his um, ramblings. There's there's yeah, a Billy, right, yeah. there's an Agnes. He does multiple different voices that yeah. do not sound like his own, which makes it even creepier. Right. But you don't know anything about his past. He's not a... He's, oh my gosh, he's the you know, he's the candy cane killer from six years ago. It's nothing like that. <laughs> right, it's just right. a fucking crazy There's no crazy history dude. to it, really, yeah. Yeah, it's... It's kind of cool, though, and yeah. kind of refreshing in that way. Because it's like you're so used to everything having to have a backstory yes. or whatever. That's what's so funny about old horror films, especially like this, where it's like with both Halloween and with this one, which, um, again, Halloween comes out four years after this film and is pretty much inspired by this film to an extent, almost to the yeah. point where it could have, in an alternate universe, been a spiritual sequel to Black Christmas, uh-huh. which Bob Clark was like, nah. Carpenter, you do your own thing. There's no reason to be tied to this when you can do your own thing. But what's so crazy about this film is not only is it a lot more just straightforward and less conventional than you'd imagine for a film that is a proto-slasher before the, like, the king of slashers at the time comes out. Yeah, right, right. It is also, I would argue, out of the three films that we cover tonight, it is the most progressive. Yeah, far, far. this film, yeah. yeah, this film is fifty years old almost, and the things that the way that the characters are written, the the cast is mainly female, yeah, and it doesn't feel like it is digging on women. No. It doesn't feel misogynist in any way. In fact, it just feels weirdly progressive, even in twenty twenty one. I mean, a lot like of a lot of the kind of peripheral characters who are more who who basically serve as obstacles to the plot and to the girls at the center are. Yeah men with like misogynistic or traditional tendencies it's like if this movie's going after anyone it's going after like traditional conservative men yeah it's going it's just going after men in general not specifically saying that men are bad or anything but it's the fact that like they are just completely stumbling blocks yeah Yeah. they're just they're not really understanding the severity of the situation and because you've got on one hand you've got one of the girls in the house i don't remember her name but she's kind of the main character jess jess, jess yeah um her her boyfriend is this very kind of uh emotionally turbulent and mm-hmm. 
um, very controlling and demanding boyfriend who kind of yeah. like keeps telling her what she's going to do and how their relationship could go or should go. And yeah. And, and uh, he's going to make brash decisions, rash decisions that obviously he would not be happy with, but he just feels like he, that's what he needs to do as a man. And yeah. Jess is like, calm down. No, like, right. I'm not doing that. You're not going to do that. Yeah. And then there's the, the one, the one of the girls who's murdered. Her father is kind of a secondary character. Yeah, I in believe the film. that's Claire. She's the first one that dies. Yeah, Claire's she's father. The and most... he's kind of in this, in a similar way, kind of like the staunch, demanding, like, oh, my daughter wouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. She's a good girl, not like you. Yes, <laughs> like. But at the same time, what's so funny about him is as the film progresses, it almost seems like. Even when it seems like everyone's like, all right, case is closed, everything's fine, you can see on his face where it's like, no, nah, there's something that yeah, I don't. we haven't still found. And it's like, but he still like goes along when he's like, oh, well, the cops say we're okay. Yeah. When in reality, they weren't. And what's fascinating about the, the film is based off of a script, I think was written, is called Stop Me. I can't remember what the original writer is, but he based it off of an old uh, urban legend about... You know, a, a killer that sneaks into a house where a babysitter's taking care of two children. It's um, the basis of the film When a Stranger Calls, which, yeah. is a, which is a classic horror film that also gets remade, ironically, the same year as the Black Christmas remake. <laughs> um, but, and that's the film that does the titular, it does like the iconic, I think it's probably the most iconic yeah. part of that, where it's the killer is inside the house. The with call you. is coming from inside yeah, the house. Yeah, he's been there the whole time. And then they took that idea made it more of a Christmas angle because um, I think Clark himself thought it would be more fascinating to do, you know, such a cheery time, such a yeah. kind of a horrifying scenario. And apparently, and I don't know if it's for certain from what how much is from the original script or Clark's kind of rewrites in places, but it seems like it's almost implied that a lot of the cool progressive ideas came from Clark trying to flesh out the women more, mm-hmm. the characters more. Cause it's Just like, a natural extension of actually developing your female yeah. characters. Because it's also, yeah, what's fascinating too is like even characters where you think like, com- like oh, this is just supposed to be the comedic one. Mm-hmm. There's a tragic angle to them. And there's also like you see what the linchpin is in terms of like, oh, this is why they're going full-blown like just drunkard yeah right because like the big thing about this too is like pre-superman i think four years pre-superman we have margot kidder who plays lois lane and mm-hmm. richard donner superman she plays i cannot remember her name i think is it margaret i think it's i think it starts with an m her I'm name sure. escapes me yeah but uh she plays a raging uh unpleasant alcoholic who is clearly <laughs> The comedic relief because she is, you know, Barb. She's yeah, Barb. Thank you. Yeah, I was completely off. Not an M at all. <laughs> uh, not an M in sight in that name. But Barb is, you know, she's fucking with cops. She's basically, you know, they're trying to do a charity event, and she's like almost nearly giving a kid alcohol. Yeah, and it's clear that like she's supposed to be comedic relief. You're supposed to be like, God, I can't wait for her to die. But at the very beginning of the film. You get a scene where she's excited about her mom coming home for Christmas, only for her mother to tell her that she's going to be spending Christmas with her new husband. Yeah. And then she just spirals out of control after that. <laughs> and it's like insane to think of like just that little detail is enough to make her more empathetic, more tragic, and also makes her death mm-hmm. more shocking because it's like you don't really want her. You don't want characters like that to die per se in certain types of horror films. Like, yes, there's certain slashers where it's like, 
this person's fucking unbearable. I cannot wait for their heads to get smashed in or stabbed or yeah. whatnot. But in this film, even when you know that the characters are going to die, you still don't want them to because they feel like decent people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the first girl that goes is like, I would argue, hilariously, like ahead of its time, is the final girl you would see in a quote-unquote slasher flick, but she gets killed immediately. Right, yeah. Is the is in the poster is like her death is in the poster because the whole thing about the poster is that it has someone strangled by a plastic bag oh, right, yeah. in the rocking chair. But she's like, she's supposed to, she's been called. I think she gets called by Barb constantly as the version of the group. Mm-hmm. And then she gets killed immediately. Right. Well, as our main character is one that has clearly had sex because her big emotional conflict that pretty much blocks her mind from all the, you know, murders happening around her right. is the fact that she's pregnant and doesn't want it. Right. And it's 1974 and she's a woman and that's yeah. kind of hard to do. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of going against the kind of trope in slasher movies of like, oh, yeah. the virgin lives and all the people who drink and have sex get killed. No, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like, and technically too, it's like it also kind of technically falls out to a degree where it's like well, Jess doesn't yeah. drink, but it's not because she doesn't like to drink or doesn't like sex. It's the fact that she's pregnant. Yeah, right, yeah. And just feels weird. I mean, obviously feels weird drinking while she's pregnant. Yeah. And I don't know. It's. I think the best way to say this, like, cut and dry is um, Black Christmas is really good. And I think it borderlines on great at moments. But overall, I would say it makes perfect sense as to why nearly every decade after this film comes out, it gets more and more uh, praise, more and more love, basically yeah. is... Now, like a quintessential cult classic, when it comes to, um, well, well, yeah, when it comes to horror films, because it's like now it seems like anyone who's a big horror fan just kind of finds out about Black Christmas, about all the ties, you know, to Bob right. Clark and how hilarious it is that Bob Clark has now made one of the most cult classic horror films ever that takes place on Christmas and one of the most classic slice of life Christmas films <laughs> in the span of a decade. And just the fact that, like, the film just makes choices where it's like, this is not a hard choice to make. Yeah. Like, any film could really do this, but the but fact that... so many that, movies don't. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that no films do it like this. Especially, like, like at that time. Because mm-hmm. I think the, the thing that nearly teeters this film, and I think at times teeters this film into greatness in my head, is the ending. Mm, yeah, the yeah, yeah. The ending is insanely shocking. It's chilling. And... It was something that Bob Clark put his foot down. It was something that yeah. the studio apparently wanted. Because the whole thing about the film is, even though it seems like now anyone could watch this um, kind of like with no kind of prep and be like, oh, I, I don't think we'll ever find out who this guy is. I think he's right. just insane. The film is still trying to trick you into thinking it's Peter, Jesse's yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. And so at the very end of the film, all the cops go, well, Jess, is, Jess killed her boyfriend because her boyfriend went insane. So, you know, case closed. <laughs> nothing, nothing to see here. We're just going to keep her in the house where she killed her boyfriend in self-defense, and yeah. she'll be fine. Right. And then at the very end, you find out, uh, no, the killer is never seen fully facially. You yeah. don't know his name. And he also is just in the attic playing with dead bodies, pretending, like basically playing house with the dead bodies of Claire and the house mother. Right. And then the film just like, like zooms out, <laughs> just pulls out the, from the house. Yeah, it and pulls out from with... the, yeah, zooms out from the exterior of the sorority house and it ends on 
a phone call that never gets picked up, leaving Jess's fate undetermined. Right. And the studio was like, oh, we want the film to end with Jess opening the door, seeing Claire's boyfriend, and then Claire, yeah, and Claire's boyfriend stabs her. And then it's like, oh, he was working with, you know, <laughs> he, he was, it was like, it was actually, it wasn't one killer. They wanted two killers. Yeah. Um, or I think they wanted him specifically, but have more of a backstory. And Clark is like, no, I think it's going to make people, uh, have, it's going to make people have a harder time sleeping tonight with the fact that like, it doesn't get resolved and you don't know if there's another death on top of it. Right, right, right. And it's like, holy shit, that's not (laughs) hard to do. Yeah. But the fact that it's like 1974 and Bob Clark's like, no, I'm not. Listen, this is the way to do it. And the yeah. studio's like, ah, I guess so. And then it just fucking just let him do it. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's a really great bleak ending, yeah. Yeah, it's just a great ending overall. And, I mean, is there anything else you want to say about it uh, besides? No, I mean, I'm, I'm I mean, in a similar boat to you. It's yeah. I, I wouldn't quite call it great, but it, yeah. it's a cult classic that earns the cult. Yes. And, and I mean, you can see its influences, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere in slashers after it and that yeah. sort of thing. Um but yeah, yeah, it's it's just super straightforward. Mm-hmm. I mean, until like that ending, but very straightforward and very kind of cut yeah. and dry and just a really easy watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to end it off for the first film, I think I read this and I hope this is true because this is very funny and I think this is shows just like how even though the film, I think made its money back when it came out, it just wasn't a huge hit critically. Yeah. And it wasn't as huge as, you know, a hundred plus million dollars that Halloween makes four years later. Um, apparently Olivia Hussey, who plays Jess, she's mainly known for, in the late 60s, playing Juliet, and I think what people consider like one of the quintessential oh, adaptations yeah. of Romeo and Juliet. I was going to say, she looked yeah. familiar the she's entire movie, and yeah. I never... And apparently, there's one time she meets Steve Martin, comedian Steve Martin, oh, yeah. and Steve Martin comes up to her and goes like, oh man, you're in one of my favorite films of all time. And she assumes it's Romeo Romeo and Juliet, but apparently Steve Martin's like, no, it's Black Christmas. I've seen that film like 20 times. (laughs) And it's like, wow. That's awesome. That's kind of badass. And I hope that's real, because I would love, just the thought of Steve Martin in a theater like 20 plus times just Black Christmas. Giddily watching Black Christmas. Yeah. No, but but as as we're kind of transitioning into the, the remakes, you'll see, like, it becomes very apparent, like, the, the, kind of reservedness of this movie and the restraint and the lack of seeing the killer, lack of seeing a lot of the kills. You see why we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but you'll see why the remakes totally like whiff on capturing the magic of the first one. This is going to be a statement that is going to be very, (laughs) I don't think it's going to be controversial at all, but it's definitely going to be one that has weight to it because I was thinking after we watched all three, because we watched all three of these films in one night, because the best part about all these films is that they're all tight 90s. They're like a little over 90 minutes, so all we... We knew we could mash out all three of them. Here on Odd Trilogies, yeah. we love a tight 90. We love tight 90s. We love tight 90s. And if it's two hours, hopefully it's a good, meaty yes, two hours. Right. But the thing about this one is that once we watched it, uh, we had another film to watch, of course, and I remember cackling at the end of this remake yeah, because yeah. it ends on such a wet fucking fart. <laughs> it is such an obnoxious ending uh-huh. of just like, oh, that's how we're going to do this? Cool. But... I thought about it these last couple days because it's only been like, what, two or three days? Yeah, three days. I think out of 
every film we've had to watch for a trilogy <laughs> this year, this is probably the worst film yeah. I've had to watch this year for the for the podcast. Yeah, like, I, I, think, I might agree with that. I don't think it's the most boring film we've watched because no. I would give that to probably both of the Exorcist prequels. But yes, this probably has even less of interest about it. To give to give the 2006 remake of Black Christmas even half a star to me feels generous. It's a worthless movie. It is absolutely worthless. <laughs> and what's so infuriating too is the fact that like, the director of this is is it Glenn Morgan? Yeah, I think off the yeah. top, I would I don't think I could forget a name like that after <laughs> seeing it for this film. But um, this film gets made because Glenn Morgan makes a remake of Willard, which is yeah. like a an old I think it's like late sixties. Is about is it like a creepy man that like can control rats and like yeah. rats kill people and he makes a film in 03. That is a remake of Willard with, with Crispin, uh, Glover, Crispin Glover. Yeah, um, which you know if you watch the trailer <laughs> now. Where they do a cover of Rat in a Cage, I think, oh, as yeah. they're eating people. And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. apparently, that film, while it didn't do well critically, and I think it didn't fully make its budget back, I, for some reason, the studio, Dimension, thought that there was a lot of promise to Glenn and was like, we, will, we would like you to do another movie. <laughs> and Glenn Morgan wanted to do Black Christmas. He said, like, he, he appreciated what Black Christmas does. He really. He really liked the nuances. He really just was like, I think this is a film that deserves more love than it gets. I would like to have my own take on it. Yeah. And um, I don't know how much of the final product <laughs> is uh, studio meddling. I know a few things uh, about what was meddled, of course. Um, and I will tell you now, Andy, that you're going to love the reasons why things were getting meddled because of two specific people in general uh four words bob and harvey weinstein they were the heads of dimension at the time okay and a lot of bad decisions that are in the final (laughs) product seem to stem from From their studio notes yeah where it's like we needs it to be gorier it needs it to be you know goofier it needs to have the ending is entirely a weinstein decision okay that was not meant to be the ending the ending was supposed to be um, God, I don't give a fuck about any of these characters, so I can't remember their names in the remake, except for Lee, the older sister that is just the dumbest. Uh, she's awful. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, but, like, <laughs> the, the two survivors in the, in the remake, they basically end up in the hospital, and the film was going to end with just a phone call at the hospital, and then the killer, Billy, goes, like, I'm still alive. Ah. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, no, Billy still lives, and then it was going to end there. And then Weinstein's are like, you gotta end with a bit of pizzazz. <laughs> and then, of course, they end with uh, the two killers because guess what? The, t- the twist in Black Christmas is instead of it being like you never see the killer and the killer is not anyone you've seen in the film so far, the the twist is is that the killer is really uh, two. It's really the the younger sister of the killer. Like it's like yes, this weird the, thing. The younger sister of the original no killer, killer that is, yeah. who lived in the house. Yes, yeah, so we will explain what that is, even but though it both doesn't. In the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things too, where it's the the big thing about the 2006 remake is that they try to, they give the killer a backstory. Yeah. It involves uh, incest, rape, cannibalism. Don't want to go any more detail about it because all that's fucking gross in the film. Yeah. Like again, I, both Andy and I have seen a film this year that involves. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> a woman having sex with a car. Oh, very yeah. aggressive, right. very uh, explicit sex with a car. And none of that, neither, neither, none of that phased either of us. And yet when we watched this film, we went, ew, gross. I hate this. I'm curling up in a ball screaming internally. I don't like this. Yeah. And it's not like effective visceral gross out stuff where it's like makes you uncomfortable just because of how bleak it is. It's like, why did you put this in a movie kind of gross? Like this doesn't need to exist. Why it's, are you doing this? It's so fucking edgy. Yeah. And in the most obnoxious way. Yeah. And to the fact where it's like the, the, the cannibalistic part is he makes <laughs> he makes human cookies. He make, yeah, yeah, he, he, he makes, like puts co- – he uh, do it out of, shoves a cookie cutter into his, his, his mom's, mom's back. back and cuts Turns, out you know gingerbread yeah. men out of her skin. Yeah, and again, we're, and we're throws we're, him in the oven. We're not really doing it. a trigger warning on this because it sounds as stupid as it was. <laughs> it is really. And stupid. And then, like, they do a close up of him eating the cookies with milk, and it's just so transparently edgy and just meant to be schlock. Yeah. And again, here's the thing: is that even though it is schlock, it's not fun schlock. No, it's just this dreary. movie is fucking boring. Yeah. This movie has the. Has an issue where like the first Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas is slow, but not unbearably slow, and it's not boring slow. It is just taking its time, developing the characters, building the mystery, and every now and again you get a kill, but that kill uh, just ex- like just accentuates like when it finally gets to the finale of the film. Yeah. Well, as in the remake, the first remake. They basically just like truncate the whole backstory of the killer in the very beginning of the film, and then there's like a part in the middle where nothing is happening. Yeah, there's like a ton like, of violence up front with yeah. like the flashbacks and stuff. Yeah, uh, to the killer's origin story, but then we have this huge like hour long chunk in the middle where nothing happens, and the sorority girls are just being yeah. annoying and yeah. making stupid decisions, and nobody's dying, and nobody's doing anything. And then everyone just dies. In yeah. the span of like 10 to 15 minutes, oh, it seems yeah. like death, death, death by icicle, death by like gardening tool, yeah. death by this, death A by that. A lot of that. people get their eyes like stabbed and stuff. Yes, yes. And it just then like the finale happens, and it's supposed to be like a beat of, oh, everything's fine. But then it isn't, and then like a few more people die, and then it, and then it just ends. Like yeah. it's it's supposed to like, apparently I don't know if it's Harvey or Bob or both of them, but like, at least one of them suggested the final kill, which is pushing Billy over the railing, and then he gets impaled on the tree. Oh yeah, that was a Weinstein decision, <laughs> and it's a bad decision <laughs> because it just ends with the with the final girl just looking tired and not satisfied, and then it just fades to black yeah it's, and she's it's just like staring over the edge of this railing look at looking at the killer who yeah. just died on a christmas tree and, and it I, just ends i think i i think i nearly scared <laughs> your girlfriend to death because i fucking cackled <laughs> with it i was like if it fucking ends here i'm losing it <laughs> and i did because it's fucking hilarious how there's no real good payoff it's yeah. all cheap well and a, a large part of that is it's like you you don't really you can't really have any falling action in the movie after no. the the killer is defeated because the characters don't have anything to them. Yeah. Everything is wrapped up all in one little go, and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no setup to pay no setup yeah. to pay off. Yeah. Yeah. The only setup that gets quote unquote paid off is the is the reveal that in the flashback the the killer that they all think is coming after them Billy Lenz I think yeah. his name is. 
he killed his mother, he killed his stepfather, and he nearly killed his sister, but didn't, but instead just pulled an eye, pulled her eyeball out of her socket. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's always wanted to come back for Christmas. And then, of course, you get the dumbest people at the insane asylum to be there on Christmas. They yeah, all die. He sneaks and then out. He sneaks out. And then you assume that when people start dying at the house, it's because we just didn't see him get back to the house. No, in reality, <laughs> at the same time as he was escaping from prison, escaping from the insane asylum, his sister, who is now played by a man and noticeably played by a yeah. man, because they have to try and fool you into thinking it's Billy, and so that instead of being creative, they just said, "Oh fuck it, let's put a man in a wig and say it's a woman," uh, because well, because like it's again, it's not just his sister; it's also his daughter, because yucky, uh-huh. and so they're like, "Oh, maybe she looks, maybe she looks more inbred if we put a man in the role." <laughs> I think that feels like the kind of the insensitive yeah, thing they right, would have said right. in terms of casting wise, and she shows up, and it's like, "Oh." So it hasn't been Billy killing us. It's been Agnes, the younger sister. And then Billy just shows up, and you're like, right. so wait, how many of these kills are Agnes, and how many are Billy? <laughs> it's like, what you... does it matter who's yeah. killing if they're yeah. both here? And then, like, at the very end of the film, you assume that, like, oh, at least one of them's dead. So if, like, the other one's alive, you know, they'll go on, like, a more murderous rampage. No, they're both fine. They were burnt in the house, but, you know. <laughs> They're both fine. Right. Just a little bit of burning here and there. Yeah. And then they get killed again. They get killed for real. And then it's just like, it's so fucking stupid. Yeah, well, and Billy, there's in his backstory, there's this explanation that he has like some kind of disease that makes his skin yellow. <laughs> yes. Which like is real. You know, jaundice and it's, stuff yeah, is yeah. real. But like... He looks. He's like neon yellow. Like they, they yeah. totally went in after the fact and like digitally made him yellow and it looks horrendous he looks like the yellow bastard from sin city but worse yeah and you even caught this and i i didn't think i even caught this until the finale it looks like it's three different versions of the like the work because i think it seems like every time they try color changes yeah his color goes from neon to like barely even more skin color to like it seems very clearly like post wise they just <laughs> there's no incon- there's no consistency. No, no, yeah. And, well, and Billy looks younger than Agnes by the end. Yeah. Because Agnes looks like a forty year old dude and Billy looks like he's in his twenties. Yeah, Agnes looks like I a pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah. And then Billy just looks like a guy. Yeah. And it's so just a weird. guy with yellow skin. Yeah, he just looks like a dude. Or yellow paint on his face. Yeah. Gosh. I feel like that'd be even better if it was just paint. Yeah. If it wasn't well, see, just and a I post think in some thing. shots they painted the actor and then digitally enhanced it yeah just making the paint more obvious yeah but like yeah it's so bad it's really bad it's not even so bad it's good there's nothing about this i feel like it's so bad it's good and it's and what i think is even more what i think is now even more frustrating to me is the fact that like my introduction to black christmas is this film because oh, yeah, I rem- cause, you watched- yeah, because I remember the trailers when I was younger scared the shit out of me. Yeah, and so when I got older enough and I got more into horror, I was like, you know what? I've always wondered if this film was worthwhile. And I remember watching it and going, "Wow, that's not good." <laughs> and then now rewatching it, it's like, "Oh, it's not good. It's uh, horrible. Yeah, it's disgusting in every bad. way." And like the thing is, I knew it was disgusting. I remember it being disgusting because I remember all the little like, oh man, Billy has a tragic backstory. It's well, like the yeah. worst yeah. decisions in terms of how to make a killer. Tra- like again, 
Well, and as much as it's like making all these big swings in terms of like standing in contrast to the original where you see no kills, like all the kills happen off camera. Um, and then in this one, they're like, okay, we're going to like show all the kills and like have a lot more violence and it's going to be, you know, not your mama's black Christmas, but like they still shy away from showing half the kills. Like yeah. they're, like uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in this movie yes. um, as a proper Southern girl. Except and, she um, doesn't have an accent except for She does half words. the time, yeah. Yeah, her, her like one, father... One is, sentence will have two different accents in it. But yeah, you know what? She probably had no coaching for yeah, she was prim and She's supposed to be like this prim and proper daddy's girl who her daddy is like a famous NASCAR driver. So yeah. every now and again, she sounds like she's in a shitty film about a plantation yeah. from time to but, time. Uh, but she, she gets... Uh, spoilers she's killed in this movie and like yeah <laughs> it's just they she dies in a car and the windows are frosted up and you it's supposed to be this like big kind of like scary moment but it's like yeah. you don't see what happens to her you just find out that billy was in the car and then you see blood splatter all over the mm -hmm. windshield which like there's well, an effective way to do that mm -hmm. but it's just like we have no context for how she died it's she also just gets in the car and then blood it's also the fact that you don't see a body show up behind her before she dies. She just, yeah, right. she just has a weird vibe of like someone else in the car with me. And then we just cut to outside the car and then she's just dead. Yeah, just There's, blood everywhere. It feels very much has the vibe <laughs> of like, well, we can't get Winstead back for this reshoot or we can't get her for this day in right, shooting. Right. We can just work around it. Right. And so for this movie that's like going for all this gross out gore to just kind of like be softballing these like late in the movie kills yeah. is dumb. And also five seconds after Mary Elizabeth Winstead dies in the car, uh, the house mother. The house mother, who's right outside the car, backs up and like trips and looks up, and an icicle falls off the house and stabs her in the face and kills her. Yeah, totally incidental. Yeah, totally entirely unconnected to the killer. You, you lost it when that happened. It was you just, were yeah, so was shocked like, at how incidental what that is kill the point was. of like entirely coincidental act of God kills in a slasher movie. Because an icicle kill is cool, Andy. It doesn't matter where it comes from. <laughs> right. an icicle kill is cool. Yeah, and it's Christmas, so well, of course you gotta yeah. have random that's also what's kind of funny about this film is that the original film takes place on christmas of course christmas plays a big part about it because you know you know a christmas carolers actually distract jess when like barb gets killed yeah. or like when margo kidder gets killed like, yeah when barb is margo kidder but like when barb gets killed and like you know the season itself that's why there's so less people in the house mm -hmm. yeah. that's the whole thing too is like the reason why he can pick off all these people is because Christmas is happening. Everyone's busy. There's a snowstorm, all yeah. that. But in the original film, it's not like how it is in the 2006 remake where it's like the killer's not coming down from the attic, finding a candy candy cane, licking it vigorously so it could become a shiv, and then just shiving yeah. just a random girl. Like He's just killing them. Yeah. He has he's not trying to find Christmas themed weapons. <laughs> right. While as in yeah, the there's first kind of remake, no Christmas charm to it. Yeah, in the first remake it seems like they're just trying to find useless Christmas Yeah, there's Christmas themes to almost every mm. kill. Or they or well, they do the, the plastic, plastic bag, bag kill. Yeah. The plastic bag kill they do like three or four times. Right. Cuz they're like this is the most, you know, this is the most iconic kill cuz <laughs> you see the person in the chair so you got to do it at least three more times. Yeah. And it's just like, good God. Well, and I thought when they did the, I thought when they did the random icicle kill, I thought that was their way of doing a nod because there's an iconic kill in the first film where he uses like a glass kind of unicorn, unicorn sculpture. Yeah. It looks mm -hmm. like an ice sculpture or something, but yeah. um, and he stabs somebody with it. 
And I thought that's what they were going for here. It was like, oh, it's the glass spike or whatever. But then they bring in the yeah, glass unicorn the, yeah. later in the movie. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess the icicle was just for fun then. Yeah, a little final after... destination in your Black Christmas. Yep. And it's just... Yeah. It, it just it just is such a bad movie through and yeah. through. It doesn't... It makes more money in DVD, in DVD yeah. sales than I think anything else. Because also... This shows what the time is for this film. I don't think this film ever got a Blu-ray release because <laughs> this film got an HD DVD release. Oh, wow. We made that joke while we were watching the yeah. film because it was that era. But, yeah, I think it was one of those films that was exclusively HD DVD and then just never got an American Blu-ray release. <laughs> so now, like the, I guess the quote-unquote best way to watch it, which is not to watch it. But if you do watch it, it's either going to be streaming or a DVD release yeah, that I came out we, when we it came out. We rented it on Amazon, I think. Yeah, and now it's like, I think the only version you can now watch is the unrated cut, Yeah, which is like, I think, three minutes longer and makes things more gory, which it's noticeably gorier, but it's also like it adds nothing to it Yeah, other than that. And it's just like, good God. <laughs> like it This is, is just is so... It is hard to state how bad of a movie it is. Yeah, and it's like when you... like, And you look... His, like, if you look at like what it went through, because it also had controversy at the time because it's, you know, post-9-11, you know, mid to late th- like 2000s America, the biggest thing is the fact that it's like, we don't need a horror film that's gross and nasty coming out yeah. during, the, um, during the Christmas season. That's just not right. <laughs> and it's like... Horror films have come out at any fucking point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And like it comes out and it doesn't do well, not because it's a horror film on Christmas. It's because it's fucking bad. Yeah. And you hear it's bad and then no one sees it. <laughs> and then it's also the fact that it's like it feels like the film at times is shot in a way where like the wine scenes are telling them, no, no, no. You got to shoot it like this because when we do the TV version, <laughs> we can cut around this. Right, we can yeah. do this. We can do that. Yeah. It just feels it's, very. Yeah factory man yeah, it's like yeah it's like this is gonna be on spike at least once <laughs> every like two days during uh, christmas season and it's like okay yeah it, it has that feel to it yeah and it's hard not to just be like oh god then every it, like it just feels like if glenn morgan truly like now i just kind of want to watch willard to see like is there anything there yeah. directing wise because i don't want to shit on the guy because i feel like well because he, he's mostly a producer yeah, like, most of his credits are producing, not directing. Yeah, and I think he he helped jumpstart. If he, I think he was like he helped jumpstart and was like a writer on the X Files, like yeah. early years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, but he's mainly producer. And the only thing he does after this directing wise is the yeah, it's like the reboot revival of the X Files. He does like an yeah, he directs like three episodes of the revival. 2016 X Files. I think so. Yeah. Is it really that long ago? I think so. Okay. But yeah, it's just like it is just such a disposable film in every way. It, the perfect way for Black Christmas, this version of Black Christmas to exist, is on a fire being burned. <laughs> like there's real no reason to watch this. Yeah, because throw it's it on just, your Yule log. Yeah, there's there are other like Christmas horror films that are definitely bad, but like they make it's it makes those films look fantastic in yeah, comparison. Right. Uh, I think Santa Claus One is scarier than this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just the yeah. just the just certain choices it's yeah. like it's, <laughs> it's Dude, just uh, uh, martin short as jack frost is scarier horrifying. than this film 
horrifying. Who needs who needs like you know yellow skin Billy Lentz when you have Martin Short <laughs> making ice puns and every time I saw like every time you got like a full body shot of Billy in this and he's just neon yellow. It made me think of those like sex robots from Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pleasure bots or whatever. Except I like, those are practical, like actual oh, yeah, prosthetics, yeah, yeah. and it's so funny. They look great, but yeah. they're supposed to look bright yellow, like plastic. Yeah. Or again, like the thing about the yellow bastard working so well in Sin City is that it's, it's in, it's like it's not supposed to be realistic. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to look like so, the comic. So stylized, they're yeah. supposed to look like ink. You know, pen yeah, and ink. because he also the guy that plays the yellow bastard, the way that he's designed, he has like this bowling ball head, these goofy <laughs> ears, this giant nose. Yeah, it's and all it, over the top. Yeah, it's all it's supposed to be. It feels like it feels like it's supposed to be a graphic novel. Yeah, being in motion, and it's like yeah, it feels like that. Uh-huh. And so yeah, the 2006 remake fucking blows. Black Xmas. Yeah, I Black think is X. The, is that the unrated version? Or is the, that all? Yeah, of, is I think that, the unrated version is yeah, Black, Black Xmas, Xmas. but. They might just call it that now because it had it doesn't hold a candle to the original, so they try to find a new way to call it that. Yeah. But then we get to our final film, and it is it's a fairly released uh, recent release, 2019, December yeah. 2019. And it's funny to think that because it's like one 2019 feels so far away for obvious yeah. reasons. Yeah. But at the same time, it's the fact that like it's like still the fact that like this film, I think out of all three of these films. Again, the original Black Christmas is made on like six hundred twenty thousand yeah. dollars in the seventies. I think the uh, remake was like nine million. Yeah, something. the remake is like I think ten million at most. Yeah. Which it, I mean, it doesn't matter, but it basically made double that in DVD sales. <laughs> and then this Black Christmas is, I believe, has one of the worst box office weekends ever. Oh. In terms of the amount of screens it was in, in terms of the budget, <laughs> wow. it just like it just completely just made nothing. Yeah. And you watch the film and you might be surprised to hear that we do not hate this movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm I was oh, I you was know what? This has a lower smaller budget than I thought. It's like three it's five million. I was gonna say three and to it five. Made almost twenty. Oh wow. But it might have it might have flopped like opening weekend. Yeah, or I think over time it made it. Yeah, but yeah, the Can't thing about this there was a lot of demand for another Black Christmas. Because mm-hmm. this is a uh, th- one of the things we don't we we didn't talk about because we kind of want to get away from the 2006 remake <laughs> as much as possible. But one of the other don't downsides. Don't make me go back, Logan. <laughs> well, because we have to talk about the, kidding, this aspect. Yeah, because it, we because it's, it's a big part of this one more than anything. The 2006 remake. Is just like all the women are just mean girl stereotypes that are the oh, absolute yeah. fucking worst. Yeah, it's it's the worst mean women, girls if mean girls wasn't a satire. <laughs> the worst female stereotypes just brought to life. You have like the witchy goth chick that's unbearable. You yep. have yes the southern belle that's unbearable. The main character is played by Katie Cassidy. You know yes she's beautiful. She's a decent actress. At least from what I've seen, There's her nothing in. going for her in this. Yeah, movie, yeah. Though. I was just gonna say, I, I, she seems like a really nice person that just unfortunately is tied to Black Christmas in 2006. <sighs> yeah, and you know, not really anyone is given anything good in that film. Yeah, and it's it's just funny to think that in the 74 film, all the women are very vastly more interesting. Mm-hmm. And you get to this one, and it's a very very different vibe because now we have a female director. The film's remake is written by two women, the director Sophie Sophia DeCall and April Wolf. 
Mm-hmm. And it's more, it is now trying to be overall a progressive horror film. It's yeah. it's trying, like, compared to the original, where the original, it feels like Bob Clark's being like, I feel like adding this progressiveness won't take away from the story. In fact, it'll amplify it because it makes these characters yeah, more realistic. Well, and, and as we alluded to earlier, it feels like, and based on what he said about, you know, writing it makes sense, it feels like the, you know, progressiveness per se is just a natural extension of actually taking the time to explore these women as characters yeah instead of just you know victims or yeah, being like you you're know, such a objects. bitch carol yeah. like it's not like it's like the yeah. 2006 remake where it feels like they're all just like bad-mouthed and just like witty right and just and so i i have to imagine i mean i i've not read anything like this but i have to imagine that uh you know uh sophia to call that's her name, right? Sophia? It's either Sophie or Sophia. To call. Call her to call. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, she said that, you know, she from the outset, she wanted to make this movie as feminist as possible. So I, I would like to give her the benefit of the doubt and assume that, you know, she noticed and appreciated those elements of the original, that the original would have been so progressive at its time and wanted to honor that. But I don't really know. Uh, all, all I've read that she's said about it is that Right away, I wanted to make this like the kind of first big feminist slasher movie. Yeah. And she certainly goes for it. Yeah, the, the thing that's so kind of fascinating about slasher films in general is similar to how like Romero's Night of the Living Dead was never meant to be as progressive as yeah, it was, but just, just ultimately became that because he just picked the best actor to be the lead, which was a black man in yeah. the 60s. And treated and it, its, his characters with respect. Yeah, and, and it yeah. just worked. In this, like, with slasher films, slasher films inadvertently becomes a progressive subgenre because mainly it has the final girl trope. Yeah, It has more females being shown in horror in general. Right, right. and then Well, and you've got the whole kind of subsect of slashers that, are, that were maybe not, intended to be particularly forward-thinking or whatever, but have been kind of since, like, claimed by those marginalized communities and kind of reinterpreted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, like, slasher... The slasher genre is kind of surrounded by this whole, like, let's buck the trend and... Yeah, because you get Laurie Strode in Halloween, you get Nancy in um, Nightmare on Elm Street, you get Sydney in Scream. Right, yeah. You get all these... You get all these uh, strong, very fascinating women that, like... Even if they're not getting a lot of development, the performances from those actresses give them a lot of i like they feel very iconic. Yeah. Towards the end of it, and so of course it makes perfect sense that a slasher film could you know dip into that more. Yeah. Like, yeah. Be lean kind of an that. outright yeah. feminist statement. Yeah, and I think the the histo- like the process to making this film is basically Sophia to call. It is Sophia. I looked it up. Oh, okay. She makes a episode of uh, Blumhouse's television anthology series, Into the oh, Dark. Yeah. She her first big thing is uh, New Year, New like New Year Near You, which is like a New Year's Eve, New Year's Day kind of like horror mm. film. I have not seen it. It's like seventy three minutes. It's a part of a anthology series that I've not heard great things about overall. <laughs> but apparently, how well she did that, Jason Blum who is head of Blumhouse and is the production company that is funding this film, basically are like, hey, would you like to do this? And she's like, of course I would like to do this. And then 
basically, you watch the film and you realize that a lot of the choices that are made are exactly what Sophia wanted, yeah. per se, where it's like, right. it's a PG-13 Black Christmas film, <laughs> which initially we were, I was like, I didn't know until you, you picked it and I went, wait, <laughs> this is not rated R? Yeah. Oh, God. And then you watch it and you go, like, it's intentionally meant to be that way. Yeah. Like, basically, Sophia was like, yeah, like, the original film, yeah, has some blood, but it really isn't that gory or graphic. In all honesty, it probably gets a rated R more the fact that the killer says a lot of obscene things to women. Oh, yeah. Um, Says says cunt a lot in the original (laughs) film. And in 1974, that's out there. Yeah, it is. And so it's like, we could probably make this film pg-13 and it would still work and if not then we'll do a rated r like mm-hmm. she was like if it doesn't work we'll do rated r yeah if we need that and they do pg-13 and in terms of the kills it doesn't really hurt the film that it's yeah, not bloody i don't bloody. really think it's lacking for more you know no. violence or gore no but uh the reason why i brought up the cast in the 2006 film and the characters in that is because the characters in this one are vastly different in terms of they are meant to be more fleshed out yeah kind of kind of similar like almost like i mean almost more than the original the the film sets out to tell a story about these girls and it just so happens that horrible things befall Mm -hmm. them yeah it feels Um, like the original film works well because what happens is they have like a a sentence or two for each character and then the performers just take that and run with it yeah yeah and it works while as in this one it feels like sophia and april give that give the actresses a lot to work with yeah and they basically lead to i would say the cast is not bad i like the yeah, cast. No, yeah i think the they do really good, good i think they're good good performances imogen poots who has been in films at least not 20 years but definitely 10 10 yeah, to 15 i feel like she's, she's been prominent for most of the last yeah. decade she's been in a lot she's been getting more and more stuff which i like because she's i like her a lot yeah, and things i've seen her in. and she's the lead in this seems and like the, a nice lady she seems like a nice lady yes and the the uh it's not gosh i can't think of not trio it's what is the not the, trio the group like the quartet. four of them. Quartet, thank you. Yeah. For some reason that word escaped me. <laughs> but the quartet of girls that are basically our leads are much more fleshed out. Yeah. Their their friendship is a lot more defined. It's clear who is who in the relationship. Right. And it also is they're all very, very different. And it's not like the fact that it's like, oh, we have a barb, oh, we have a Jess, we have this. No, it feels very much like these are four very different characters in a black Christmas film. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from the Black Christmasness of the film, which I would argue is not really there anymore. Yeah, it's <laughs> it very much feels things. like, and you know, yeah. not really any knock to Sophia to call, but like no. definitely feels like she wanted to make a movie, and I, I'm not saying this is what happened, but it feels like she wanted to make a movie, and then they kind of slapped the Black Christmas brand on it. After yeah, the it's. Fact. It weirdly feels like... It feels very disconnected from yeah. the original premise or I mean, even if, the second remake's premise. 
And of course, I it's it's clear that it's supposed to be a Black Christmas remake because you get the unicorn statue. Yeah, you get the you unicorn get, statue. You, you get the Christmas setting. It's you get girls in female. a sorority getting yeah. killed. Yeah, basically a home invasion type thing with yeah. the women and the sorority. And it's but like it's, it's far less of you don't have that like claustrophobic. Oh, we're gonna be in the house most of the movie, mm-hmm. and the yes. killer's in here with us. It's like most of the movie mm-hmm. takes place all over the college campus. Yeah, um, there's not really any sort of home invasion until there's, I mean, there, there's home invasion scenes throughout the movie but they're kind of sparse in here and there. There's like twice as many characters in this and I think both films prior probably there's there's just so many characters in this and that not saying the the second the second one feels in my memory like there's a ton of characters but i think it's just because no they're all just unbearable or interesting yeah you feel like there should be more characters because of how unbearable the ones that are there on screen are yeah but no like in in the 2019 film there is like you get carrie elways is not jordan peterson you get a love interest for charismatic male professor Mm -hmm. who's very kind of anti- progress and yeah and very pro man yeah anti-woke culture yeah which is again that that the biggest thing for me that i think is the downfall of this film is that what it's trying to do is commendable but yeah. at the but at the very end in terms of the final product it is so surface level what's what it's trying to say yeah it's and, very t-shirt feminism yeah, hashtag feminism yeah it's also the fact that like a lot of the more interesting elements seem to either go to the wayside or get yeah. resolved really quickly like yeah i mean we we hit the hour mark i think and we were like Damn, oh there's, hard, there's hardly been any like slasher stuff in this yeah. movie it's all been about the girls and like i was fine with that i was fine with that i was too. like this is a good story i'm yeah. into it i'm into the mystery of what's mm-hmm. going on on campus i like the progressive stuff yeah and then they kind of like cram in all their messaging in with the slasher stuff right at the end yeah, hilariously it's very obvious allegory for the patriot not even an allegory it's mm-hmm. straight up the patriarchy but like yes it, it's, it, it it's... all just hits all at once and it's <laughs> like okay i liked i liked when we were kind of you know restrained when it was earlier. more of a drama about <laughs> yeah a woman trying to deal with the fact that like her friends are disappearing and also and meanwhile the system yeah, yeah is you know mm-hmm. and also her her rapist that no one believed actually raped her is back in town right so that yeah. doesn't really help either in yeah. any way and it's like all that stuff was vastly more interesting than what ultimately becomes the twist of the film which is there's not a single killer there's not two killers the fraternity that was founded by the founder of the college hawthorne college yeah i think it's calvin hawthorne is supposed yes, to be yeah. the name he created a fraternity that found out that they could live forever if they basically give in, basically give in to their toxic masculinity and sacrifice yeah. women. It's basically if yeah. if you, you know, give yeah. over your quote unquote true nature. Yes. As the superior sex. Now, now, Andy, hold on. It is you let the inner alpha come out. Oh yes, you're a true alpha. Yeah. Because I will say the the worst. <laughs> I will even though the 2006 film is fucking garbage. Yeah. The worst thing that is ever said in any of these three films is in this film, which were basically there are a bunch of there are a couple guys in this film that aren't fratty douchebags yeah. or killers, and they basically are told that at times their heads start ringing and you don't know why it's doing that. And the frat boys say it's because the inner alpha is trying to come out. Right. Yeah. And it's like, that is the Ugh. worst fucking thing. I made yeah. you pause the film so I could process <laughs> you that. Like, didn't you walk out of the room? I walked out of the room <laughs> and was laughing to myself. Cause I could yeah. not believe that that was a plot point yeah. that they were, that was, that was a, that was a 
bit of yeah, lore. Not, not just a line of dialogue, but an actual concrete bit of lore to the magic of this story. Yeah, because like, they basically use uh, the love interest, uh, I think his name was Gideon or something. I don't know, like the the, the, the nerdy the nerdy kind of audio tech guy yeah, yeah, that yeah. likes Imogen Poots. And he's they, cute. Yeah, he's 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 sweet, but like yeah. he barely gets anything to do with. Right. Yeah. Uh, they basically use his inner alpha against him. Yeah. Towards the end of the film, but yeah, <laughs> the biggest thing that's funny, like I think that basically brings this film down, is the inverse of the 2006 remake. Whereas in this film, we get so much development that has nothing to do with the mystery on the front end <laughs> yeah. that when we get to the back end, it's like, well, fuck, this finale just has to be an exposition dump. Yeah, it's an exposition dump, and it's also not a particularly relevatory twist, like, or explanation. It kind of just makes sense the whole time. Like, I wasn't necessarily, like, theorizing the movie or being like, you know, oh, you know, the entire fraternity, they're all individually, there's an army of killers or anything. But, like, it's clear from the get-go that the fraternity is evil. Mm-hmm. And they're doing messed up shit, and they are responsible for this in some way. Yes. The only twist or surprise is that, oh, there's a bunch of people wearing the same killer costume at the same time, which isn't surprising, but no. it is a reveal, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this thing which is like, by the time everything gets revealed, yeah, you just go like, I kind of guessed. Yeah. I kind of guessed that was the thing, and that thing was like, well, did you know that like the the black ooze that you see around that's kind of liquid toxic masculinity and it's like that's stupid i don't know why that that's what you want me to know about but okay i know it now well i guess that makes venom a symbol of the patriarchy i mean he doesn't know what hit him so i don't necessarily know (laughs) he might not know that honestly um Um, but i mean yeah because like the thing is like the film seems very clearly actually i think the thing that the film i i can't tell if the film is trying to be for women who are into horror and are feminists and just don't get a lot of representation, so they're making a film for them? Or is it a film that's trying to trick kind of, uh, you know, misogynist, kind of toxic horror fans that are like, oh, I like the original Black Christmas, and they go in and go, wait, my mind's been changed. Oh, no. Like, I can't tell if it's trying to do either or both. Uh, yeah, I don't know who and, the target. I mean, the yeah. best I can sense is that the target is like women who maybe don't normally like horror as like an entry point into yeah. horror or something. But mm-hmm. like, gosh, the slasher element of this is so uh, like it's, it's it's an afterthought compared yeah. to the, the the plotting about the girls. And granted, like we said, we enjoyed that part, and it's. Yeah way more interesting than the slasher stuff but it's like okay then don't force in all this slasher mm -hmm. stuff and this mystery because it's not that interesting and and ultimately too that like by the time that there are some really interesting conversations they could have in terms of uh feminism in terms of how women kind of like approach feminism in terms of like whether it's passive or aggressively well and just how women perceive or understand you know the their everyday interactions with men yeah it's it's it's, because it's like there's imogen poots's character's best friend is just she's trying to get carrie always off campus because he's a misogynist pig who he he is and she is a bleeding heart feminist which again neither of us have any issue with but at a certain point she starts making decisions that make me go this is kind of 
aggressive to the point of toxicity, are they going to touch on like toxic feminism in any way? Right. Yeah. And they don't. No, in yeah. fact, she was she was right all along, and they say like you were right all along, and it's like that's not that's not bad, but like at the same time, it's like yeah. she basically put a video online that uh, it's not just her, it's like it's all of them singing uh, up on the up on the roof uh, house up on the house top, yeah. but it's about uh, uh, toxic frat boy rape culture. Yeah, and she was like, oh, I'm gonna post this online, and for some reason, just didn't think about the fact that her best friend, you know was sexually assaulted at one point. Well, and so, like, and, maybe and, that was not going to be a good idea in yeah. terms of, like... And then they're like, what? What do you mean? Like, we have to smash the patriarchy. And it's like, hold on. Yeah, right. Like, come... I, it just feels so weird how, like, that doesn't get touched on. Yeah. Because we have to finally get to the horror stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how this film feels more... feels closer to Exorcist Three than it does Black Christmas. At times, yeah, because there's that one shot yeah. that is obviously an homage to Black uh, to Exorcist right, Three, yeah, yeah, which is a great homage, but at the same time, it's like it also doesn't really have anything to do with anything. No, they just do it. Yeah, they just they just seem like, hey, you remember that one scene in Exorcist Three where it's like a hard zoom after like a good two minutes of it's a nothing? real quiet long take yeah. of nothing happening, and then suddenly a kill. Yeah, it's like a wide shot, and then all of a sudden it becomes a close up. It's like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, but like again. I can't think of a I can't think of a part in the remake that is a POV, uh, like I which which would be such a good so. homage to yeah, the original right. film because like the whole the original film it seems like if you told me it was 60, 40, 40 POV it would believe you yeah right like it's like it's mainly just seeing the killer's perspective which is haunting because it's mainly him breathing to himself yeah the the kind of black Christmas of it all does not feel integrated into the story of this at all no it, it's it feels very it's, tacked on yeah and then when you but, but when you get past that even then there's still i think enough problems with the film where it's oh, like yeah. where it's like this is not a horrible film this is not a great film either or i it's would a clumsy film yeah, i would say this is bad but not horribly bad and not bad to the point where there's nothing here yeah it's some, it's, somewhere, it's flawed yeah. it's a very flawed film that i do like, think falls on the wrong side here. of mediocre kind of yeah. thing yeah because to me, I because I, I talked to my girlfriend about the film and I told her the I basically told her the whole rundown about the film. Because in all honesty, I feel like this is hilariously a film where if you're told everything about it, you can still kind of appreciate little things that it tries to do. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because the reveals yeah. are not that surprising. Because what's so what, what I think my favorite part about the film about the remake per se is um with Imogen Poots, her introduction, they don't say outright that she is that she is basically. Uh, a victim of sexual assault, but the way that Imogen plays the character, the way that she's dressed, the way that she responds to certain things, like there's yeah. a there's a whole thing in the film where like she has this beautiful red dress that you know she used to wear all the time, and she gives to her little, and her little's like, but you look great in this dress, and she's like, I don't really wear dresses anyway, yeah. anymore, and it's like anymore, what are we missing? And then later on, you get a little bit more tidbits here and there, right, and then it basically yeah. is just set out right. But she doesn't say it. Yeah. But at that point, I went, she was assaulted, wasn't she? Like, it was like, but like, it doesn't have to, you don't have to find yeah, out. Yeah, they handle that stuff pretty well in the They handle it incredibly well. And I think Poots plays that part of the f- performance amazingly well. Mm-hmm. And that's really like, I, I mean, I, that performance in the, the character, like the costume design and the choices that were made directing wise mm-hmm. with that. I think are my favorite part because once we get the farther we get into the film, it feels more and more 
generic and kind of surface level. Yeah, because, I mean, it misses any... You sort of touched on this a minute ago, but it kind of... At every opportunity to kind of open up a dialogue and create a nuanced conversation between characters, it kind of just takes the easy road and, Mm -hmm. you know, uses quick, easy Twitter talking points, you know, yeah. and kind of does the not all men thing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I mean, it's no surprise, especially when you watch this film, that Sophia Takal took inspiration from vernacular and from the responses surrounding the Brett Kavanaugh and Bob yeah, Turner cases. Absolutely. Especially with the fact that Imogen Poots is uh, rapist, it looks like Brock Turner. Yeah. It's, like, uh, I made... And just the whole, I mean, this movie is much more campus scandal- than yes. the other two movies. Yeah, that's I mean that's the thing too is like in the in the first one you get a we get a decent amount of the campus, but it's more just like this is the backdrop of this is where they go to school right, right. when it's not winter break. Yeah. Well as this murders don't really have anything to do with the school. Yeah. yeah. Well as now it's like you you see kind of like them go to class, you see where they work. Yeah. It's more of like a day to day kind of normal thing. Yeah. And then they're just like, Oh, everyone's leaving. I was like, Oh, that's right, it's winter break. I forgot <laughs> that in the in the films it's supposed to be winter break and because yeah. like in Yeah, 'cause in the first film it's like uh it's like I think a week at at most, I think a few days before Christmas. In the Black Christmas in 2006 remake, it's like, oh, it's Christmas Eve, and we all just, you know, we all don't want to go home or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe a snowstorm leaves them behind, and then in this, it's like, it's like roughly just Christmas season. Like you can't, yeah, I can't I necessarily mean, it's, tell. It's, I feel like it's kind of, you know, that last week of school before mm-hmm. Christmas break. It's like Christmas yeah. is still like a week off, but like it's mm-hmm. time that everybody's, you know, getting ready to head home. Yeah. This, I mean, this, this feels like if this was a, black mirror episode this would be one of the weaker ones of course yeah, for sure um but it also feels like it might be better if it was pushing trying to push more of like a tv 75 rather than a tight film 90 yeah you know what i mean yeah. where it's like you know black mirror is not trying to make a theatrical like 75 minute film right, right. they're making an episode of black mirror because it, the show has kind of its thematic elements in the way that it's shot and way that it's done and I feel like this would this could be a stronger narrative and stronger social commentary if it had maybe a bit more of a time constraint. Yeah, and I also think what would have helped, like particularly the commentary and the messaging of it all, is like instead of making it this kind of weird, evil, dark magic explanation, like mm-hmm. maybe set us up to think that's what's happening, and yeah. then it just turns out that it's just a professor manipulating students yeah, and, and convincing them to mm-hmm. you know pra- you know follow in horribly regressive you know yeah. worldviews and stuff yeah the gray area is barely in this film yeah which i i think it make is a purposeful choice because i feel like they just wanted to make something that was very black and white and very uh, brazen because it was like you don't see films like this in horror yeah right and i get that but at the same time it's i couldn't i couldn't help yeah I guess, it's yeah. again i think sophia to call does an admirable job with the film, and I think April Wolf does also helps her out and does a really good. It does an admirable job in terms of the the character development, the screenwriting in general. Because mm-hmm. I because again, I I was kind of worried if anything the 2019 film could have like you know, you know maybe low random humor, maybe some Insta <laughs> or TikTok references. And right. all honesty, no, it feels yeah, it very respectful to uh, millennials and like or like young millennials, you know, old generation z yeah. or zoomers as everyone should call them 
and it does a really good job of just like making the characters genuinely interesting. Yeah. It just doesn't get past genuinely interesting. It kind of like, <laughs> except for the whole like except for my take in terms of what I what I saw with their approach with Imogen Poots's character. Right. Everything else seems pretty much like it it hits the there's I can't think of a better way to say it. It hits the genuinely interesting <laughs> ceiling but never breaks through it. Yeah, yeah. And it hits that wall and just doesn't know where to go from there. And it was it was hard not to talk about like when I was telling my girlfriend about this film. It wasn't hard. It was hard not to talk about this without thinking about the fact that I think last year we got an even more horrifying film with social commentary, but it was a black comedy, and no one anticipated it to go as hard as it was, especially when it came to the nuances in the gray areas, oh, which yeah. is Promising Young Woman. Yeah, I think Promising Young Woman is fucking horrifying and yeah. intense, well, and an, but it's not meant to. Awesome inversion of like the rape revenge exploitation yeah. genre. Yeah, absolutely. Just a way better inversion of a classic genre than like this is of slashers. Yeah, because I feel like with this film, I mean, your I mean, your girlfriend watched it with us, and it seemed like she liked a lot, like liked the same things oh, that yeah. we did. But overall, it didn't seem like she wanted to rewatch it again because <laughs> it seemed yeah. like yeah, it was you mean solid. This movie? Yeah, this yeah, one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, with Promising Young Woman, I remember when we watched it, <laughs> I. I just remember being like, I am horrified, yeah. but I am not a woman watching yeah, that, this. That I can't one, imagine. I, If I remember correctly, I think that one was hard for her. And I, understandably and I so. Yeah. Understandably so. I feel like it's, you could have, I see like the easiest, nicest life in the world. I still think you could watch Promising Young Woman <laughs> and just have a rough time in places. Yeah. And, it's and an ugly it's, movie. It's, I mean, again, in a good way. Yeah. And, and, and even then, even though it's an angry film, it also doesn't say that its protagonist is in the right fully. Yeah, no, yeah. There's a gray area I mean, with how she handles all gray. things. Yeah. This and, movie is all black and white. Yeah, this film is full-blown black and white. Yeah. Or black in, and in red if it ever got a way, red. In a reductive way, in a way that takes away yeah. meaning from the conversation. It, it, yeah, it, it feels more like opening a book and just seeing rape culture bad, sexism bad. Yeah. It's like, I agree with that. But where do you go from there? And then it just like the next page, it just says, "Yeah, rape culture bad, sexism bad." It's like I get that, but like where else yeah. can we go? Yeah, and it's because like yeah, because your your girlfriend, I mean, asked us like, "How do you feel about this film?" Considering that it mainly just bashes men, and I was like, "It, it doesn't bother me at all." Yeah. Like I, I I get what the film is trying to do, and I feel like for someone like me who is a white male, uh, most films are usually filled with meat. So yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's like I'm used to seeing films where it's just like almost like a I guess a white male fantasy to a degree where it's just like oh I'm the lead character. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Pratt is me. I uh, Harrison Ford is me. <laughs> and it's like I don't ever need more of that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, if, especially if it's well written and well executed. Right. So like when you see a film like this is like it's not trying to say that all fraternities are bad. In fact, it seems like the film is saying that fraternities are mainly bad. Yeah. And most fraternities are filled with blonde white men <laughs> who are assholes. Who are it's... practicing black magic. Yes. And it's like, well, that's fine. Because it's, it's like, because, yeah, a man, man bashing makes sense because yeah, we, right. and women don't run the world, sadly, like Beyonce wants to say. Mm. It's it's mainly men. There's, it, yeah. there's not a, there's not a, 60 40 split or a 70 30 it's, yeah, it's a lot more like the 95 five favorable ratios yeah yeah so it's like i like films that are trying to push 
you know, a, yeah, a different kind of take on, you know, protagonists and just yeah, I mean, anytime you're and, putting the status yeah. quo on blast, yeah. that's an admirable, valiant and trying, effort. But... And trying not to be progressive in an unbearing way. Yeah. But at the same time, that doesn't excuse the fact that overall, I feel like you could watch this film once and get everything out of it mm-hmm. the first time through. I don't know if there's really anything that you can miss in the 90 minutes, the 93 minutes that this film is. Yeah. Like, I don't think you'll hate it. I don't think you'll love it. Like, I feel like that's kind of the vibe. In. Especially as a horror film. Yeah, it's just... It's fine. Yeah, it's... I mean, I would say trying trying to view it specifically as a horror film, it fa- it fares even worse Yeah, I, than it yeah. does as, like, a college dramedy. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, I say it's fine mainly because I, I, I think it's the fact that, like, I guess I'm just okay with the fact that it doesn't shoot for the stars but it also doesn't remind me of the 2006 remake yeah that's where it's true. like you know i have seen enough shitty horror films that the bar can sometimes be set so low right that i'll go like oh well yeah well it doesn't make any sense that that icicle stabbed real deep and there's no blood <laughs> at least it's not incidental or accidental yeah <laughs> and so it's like it's kind of like that well there's always an asterisk next <laughs> to it and yeah I, if if the 2006 remake to me is like a half a star out of you know five or whatever i guess to me this is like a two and a half out of five yeah like it, it yeah. really there's it i there's nothing in here that makes me angry except for the alpha line that didn't really make me angry that just made me laugh because i feel like that was just yeah it's really just, stupid it's kind of an eye roll of a movie yeah that feels like a scene that people would use on YouTube to be like, this movie's awful. See this scene? This is the entire <laughs> film. And it's like, this is not the entire film. Yeah. It's just one really bad scene in this right. fucking movie. But yeah, overall, it just there's just not a lot of lasting impressions yeah. with this one. Well, and it's, it's made easier to go uh, kind of easy on this movie and it's uh, kind of hackneyed absolutist commentary because mm-hmm. I recently watched Don't Look Up and that movie... <laughs> is the most smug and condescending movie I've seen in a long time. And just like this movie, I agreed with almost everything it said. I just hated how it said it. Oh, man, I didn't expect you to throw that out there then. But I'm glad so you did. So that's another movie you shouldn't watch this season. You, you, none of, no one could understand just how long he's been holding that in. He was thinking about saying something last episode, but he was like, I don't think it's the not, embargo's up yet, so yeah. I don't know. I shouldn't say anything until that's up. And now you can tell the gloves are off. Andy's going to be shitting on that yeah. film for as long as it I comes. I believe somebody, AFI or maybe Rolling Stone, put it in their top ten of the year. Don't listen to them. Terrible movie. <laughs> Hilariously, though, yeah, the, since the reviews have gone out, it seems like most outlets are really just slip, sp- like split down the middle. Yeah, yeah. I've seen like... Some of them give it a four out of five. I've seen others just be like, God, this is so unbearable. Well, and it's like, I and can like, see, okay. you know, if you're like a bleeding Twitter liberal, like this movie is designed to, like, don't don't look up. I'm not talking about Black Christmas. Although Black Christmas 2019 is also kind of this way. But, you know, it's designed to appeal to somebody like you. Um, I guess if, if you're just really about having more in-depth conversations and genuinely getting things done and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, it's just a frustratingly shallow film. Yeah, it, it feels like both these films could... Ex- well, I haven't seen Dolk Up yet, but the way that you've described right, it yeah. to me and you've uh, tore it to shreds the one time <laughs> you, told, you told me like your extensive thoughts, it feels like both Black Christmas 2019 and that one could be told in a Twitter post mm-hmm. or like maybe a Twitter thread of like three posts. <laughs> right, yeah. And then that's it. Yeah, with a few and, hashtags at the end. Of course, because you can't do Twitter without hashtags. That's just unfair. 
But yeah, that's the Black Christmas trilogy. Uh, the, I mean, it's not surprising to us that the best one's the original. The yeah. 2006 one is absolute garbage. And the 2019 one has some interesting elements, but is overall pretty flawed and forgettable. Yeah. And yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> I it's, it, it happens with this, but I, I would say if you were looking for, you know, Christmas horror films, you know, you, you've got the classic, my go-to every year. Because I think it's a great Christmas film on top of just being a fun horror film is Gremlins, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But if you're looking for something you probably haven't seen, there's um, Krampus. Because that kind of oh, yeah, came Krampus out and didn't make fun. a... Yeah, that one, I th- I think I dislike it a little bit more than you do. But at the same time, yeah. I it's like... It's not a great movie, but yeah. it's fun. I like Michael Doherty. I think he's great. I think he does a great job with Trick or Treat. And I think the... Oh, yeah. The oh, the mon- the creature designs in Krampus are the best parts. Of that oh film. yeah, absolutely. They're phenomenal, and you should definitely check that out if you're looking for a Christmas horror film. Or, at the same time, watch the original Black Christmas. I think there's a there's yeah. a good that's a good unconventional Christmas film to watch that I think works really well, especially if you're a horror fan. Yeah. And for a so bad it's good choice. It's it's I'm losing which wrestler is in it. But I've heard uh, Santa Slay, S-L-A-Y, oh, yeah. with I think Steve Austin. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Where it's like the the film is basically in their in their world, Santa is only Santa because of a deal with the devil. <laughs> and so like once every like oh, century deal, or so the deal gets up. Yeah, he can basically just be an asshole. And so it's a, <laughs> it's like a it's a horror film where Santa's just killing people. Wow. And it's just like I I, I feel like that kind of would hit the so bad it's good sure. mark a little yeah. bit. I remember that film being on Spike all the time in the Christmas season <laughs> and being like, no, thank you, and yeah. I just keep moving. But, yeah, it's 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 the holiday season. We we had a blast regardless of the 2006 remake going through these films. And, thankfully, the next time around, we are going to be talking not about a trilogy, but we're going to get to our best of 2021. Yeah, it'll be our uh, New Year's special. Next time you hear from us, yes. it'll be 2022. Yes, it will. And uh, we'll be we'll be talking about the past year in movies mm-hmm. and our thoughts on it. Because here's the thing is we're going to need that time, especially me, mm-hmm. because um, while Andy these last couple of days have just been flying through screeners because he's had he has to get a lot of these done by a certain time. Yeah, we've got uh, the uh, the Indiana Film Journalists Awards yeah. coming up, which I'm excited gotta... to see what the res- like what the ultimate like kind of consensus yeah. is on certain yeah. things. So this but, time of year is grind time yeah. for for awards movies. Yeah, and for and for me, I just like my my work hours take up the majority of the day, and I'm always so tired afterwards, and it becomes. <laughs> yeah. I'm now going to have to start forcing myself to see all my watch list films. Yeah. And it's going to get to a point where by actually when we're filming this, they just released Red Rocket and now yeah. I got to figure out if I'm if I'm going to see that before <laughs> kind of just like now I'm having to pick and choose. Yeah. Thankfully, uh, a lot of these films are on streaming, so that's not going to be a big deal. But Absolutely. by the time you hear us next, we are going to have our lists compiled. Hopefully, we will figure out a more concise way to do it than last year because last year i will say we rambled oh yeah we did i, I mean i did i know i, I know did how long we went last wasn't i that? think that was i think our longest episode almost okay. at that point we've already passed that but right. um but yeah well, that just means we have more headroom absolutely i we might even at the same time talk about some of our favorite episodes of the year kind of like do a little recap oh, of like oh, yeah, some yeah, yeah, like yeah. some of our favorite recording stuff kind of like what we did with the anniversary special but now we have a few more in there, so we can talk yeah. about other stuff as well. And maybe do our own awards. I don't know if we'll do that or not, but yeah. it's a good idea. We'll see. But yeah, but uh, tune in on, is it January 2nd? 
Is that when we're coming back? Yeah, January 2nd. Oh, my gosh. That's – wow. It feels so far away, but it's it is, yeah. it'll be there before we know it. <laughs> right. But tune in on January 2nd when we do our best films of 2021. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.